Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today, we have Coach Jesse Grund in the house. So, Coach Jesse, if you want to give the listeners a little background on yourself, please. Sure. My name is Jesse Grund from Orlando, Florida. I currently hold two positions. I am the owner of Unconventional Strength. That's a studio that focuses on strength and conditioning with a movement-based mindset. And then I'm also the performance director of Orlando Body and Movement Therapy. It's on the other side of town where I've just taken this role, primarily filling in the gap of correctives, biomechanical flaws, resetting people after they've gone through treatment. So those are the two things I do. I've been doing this for 10 years now, worked with everything from professional wrestling world champions to long drive world champions to TV superheroes to soccer moms right down the street. So anything and everything I've pretty much seen and uh, movement and mobility are the main components that I base all of my training off of. Nice. I know a few weeks back, Perform Better had a uh, little virtual summit with Sue Falcone, Michelle Dalcourt, Lee Burton, and Frank Dolan. It was kind of mobility and stability. What is it? You know, I think people have different perspectives on what it is to them, which got me to thinking, like, I think that's a great question for all our guests to, to kind of give their perspective on what is mobility to you? It's a great question. And it's one I actually educate all my new clients on control mm-hmm. at in range. So mm-hmm. pretty much control of your ranges, period. You know, it used to be control at just at in range. And then after I took FRC and started listen, uh, working on Spina stuff, it's control of all of your ranges. If you don't have mm-hmm. control of your ranges, if you're not stable at in-range, if you're not stable at mid-range, then you don't have mobility. So for me, it's demonstrated strength at all of your ranges of motion, and that's what mobility is to me. Nice. Well, how does that differ versus stability? Because I thought that was the cool part of that seminar was the fact of differentiating those two things. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question and one I've been kind of looking at. So I did Gary Gray's 3D maps and also did his AFS. Mm-hmm. And they tend to kind of see most ability is what they call a lot of what mm-hmm. they're yeah. talking about. Mm-hmm. So mobility and stability combined. And I, I've actually started to lean more towards that where... I, I feel like you can't be mobile and not be stable. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of those all tigers are cats, but not all cats are tigers. You know what yes, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yes, exactly. So I think you can be stable without necessarily being mobile, but I don't think you can be mobile without being stable. So I think stability becomes a prerequisite to mobility. You know, Chris Frankel used to talk about proximal stability to mm-hmm. distal mobility. And so that's that's one of those that I've kind of geared towards. And after listening to Gary Gray speak on most ability, it's where I've kind of started leaning my training into that, where stability and mobility are components that that marry incredibly well together and they, they work well as a in-range with control. Mm-hmm. So I think that really is what stability ends up being. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that too. You know, I don't think you can move without stability. Yeah. Right. It breaks down, right? If I'm not stable, it's going to break down. It's not going to be the attended movement that I want. So especially with mobility, when I'm trying to create mobility to a joint, I'm also going to create stability, which as we know, whether I'm trying to be stable on a slack block or I'm just trying to be stable in offset stance, it's control. That's really what it's all about. And then being able to manage wherever the forces tend to take me. So the more control I can exert, the more stable I can be, I can then express more mobility as a result of it. So I'm kind of leaning towards that most stability. I think it's the it's where I'm leaning my training these days. You were working with a high school team in your area not too long ago, huh? Yes, I was. And as far as mobility work was, I mean, you got to kind of fit that in with the traditional strength and conditioning aspect, right? It's interesting. You think that these kids are 14 to 18 years old and they're all kinds of resilient and they're all kinds of mobile when in actuality it's the exact opposite i think we're seeing this huge shift in the the movement culture of these kids playing one sport and sitting all the time and all the other things that go along with it and let's be honest here overloading patterns they have no business to actually be doing you know let's just put them under a bar and get them squatting so for me everything i did had a mobility backing to it, whether it was supersetting something heavy with uh, mobility base or our warm-ups, 
which were local to global in their perspective, or it was, you know, literally my Wednesday was pretty much FRC. So literally Wednesdays, it was, hey, guess what? We've got our splits Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we are going to do FRC and everything from 90, 90 pails and rails to ankle work to passive range holds to anything you can think of. And the kids dug it because they all mm. saw results. They started mm. seeing better capacity. They started seeing better movements. The problem was, is there tends to be an antiquated mindset from the rest of the coaches that if it's not heavy, it's not effective. Mm-hmm. And so why are we wasting our time doing this when our squat numbers are X, you know, mm-hmm. and that tended to be the, you know, and I, I've, I spoke to another coach in Florida who's, who was doing the same stuff I was, and he had the same feeling, which was just this antiquated mindset of mobility is not important. They're 14, just load the bar on the back. And I'm like, look, I'm not just here for the four. I'm here for the 40 afterwards. You know, I want them to be able to continue moving through the rest of their life. And it's, you know, how many kids are we breaking down or getting to college and they're broken down from the volume? It just doesn't make any sense. There weren't any prerequisites. Like that's what we're dealing with. And so I put a huge emphasis on mobility in my program. I really wanted to have a zero year zero protocol where basically they came in and they were for the first year, it was pretty much unloaded stuff and just getting them to mm-hmm. learn how to move. Mm-hmm. Problem is, is that when you're coming in during a pandemic, that's yeah. a little harder to do. Yeah. So I resigned from that position this year because I started grad school and I just wanted to be able to, you know, if I had to choose between spending time with my son, grad school and dealing with some antiquated mindsets, I decided one could go away for the meantime. <laughs> and I worked with a lot of those kids privately over the summer. A lot of their mm-hmm. parents trust the heck out of me. And so I'll be seeing them again this summer as well. A lot of these kids are four and five star recruits. Some of them mm-hmm. that are going to go play major college ball and their parents are like, wherever you are, that's what we're going to send him. Yeah, I think part of the antiquated issue is is coaches are, have lost the fact that at 15, 16, 17, these kids are just naturally developing. And it's not, it's like you said, just keep loading them, just keep loading them. There's just so much natural development that when they're pushing and pulling against each other, they're developing actual applied strength app, you know? Yeah, 100%. And look, I mean, the testosterone factory that is boys from 15 to 18, if I put a dumbbell in their hand, I think they gain probably a quarter inch of muscle mass <laughs> just from me by having them hold it. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. It's hyperbole, obviously, what I'm saying. But yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, like, I don't have to overload them. And guess what? They're going to go to college. And I've spoken to college strength and conditioning coaches who are smart ones. Coach Heck out of North Carolina is one of those really smart, has a year zero protocol, implement FRC with their guys. Quarterbacks aren't doing the same thing as running backs, not doing the same thing as DBs, not doing the same thing as linemen. Like it's intelligent programming. And I can tell you, they're going to get these kids. And most of these kids who have been overloaded and had all this stuff, they're going to have to start from scratch with what they're Mm -hmm. doing or they're going to break down because of the volume. So it's like, Hey, we got to, we got to do a better job of priming these kids to be both ready for the next level, but then more so like, what's the percentage of kids who actually go play ball at the next level? It's very minute. So I'm I'm inherently teaching these kids how to move for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So that should be our responsibility, not, what their clean and jerk number is, which I have had that conversation with an Olympic weightlifting coach where I'm just like, yeah, I don't have my kids clean and jerk. They'll power clean some for sure. They don't jerk. You know, I'll probably get a lot of hate for this. Really don't see a benefit. There's about 10 other things I could do to build explosiveness that don't take that much technique to actually learn and do. Yeah. Cause you're teaching them forward drive. Right. I mean, that's what they need on the football field is forward. It's just like Alex from Landmine University talks about forward intent. So if that's what they need on the field, that's what you want to drive home. And and we've put such a huge emphasis on certain lifts that I don't necessarily understand the emphasis. We have plenty of research that shows that why, you know, I I got to coach at a a pro level camp where it was a bunch of pros that were coaching. Dak Prescott was there. Dak was the coolest guy in the entire world. It was really cool to get to interact with him and his strength and conditioning coach. But I spent like 15 or 20 minutes literally demoing mobility stuff for these pro guys who were all like, let me get your card. Let me get your info. This is what I need. This is the level I'm at. One of the strength and conditioning coaches from the Dallas Cowboys was like, let's exchange information because I would love to bring some of what you're doing to the, to the Dallas Cowboys. And ultimately like 
they all gravitated towards mobility and movement. But we would talk about things that seemed pointless, you know, like a 40 yard dash in shorts that you're never like, for me, a 40 yard dash, not wearing football gear, not wearing cleats, doesn't make any sense how it carries over for somebody, you know, and the bench press. And I go to the bench press to talk about the forward drive. Because literally Stuart McGill did a whole study on carryover from laying down bench press to a, basically a standing cable press and what you saw the difference was. And it's massive. Why are we training people on their back to be strong? If we're just trying to put size on them, there's other things I could do to do that, that I could do from a pushing perspective. But that carryover just, it doesn't, it doesn't carry over. I, I forgot what the percentage was, but it's somewhere between 30 and 40% of the carryover to standing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so why are we spending time, you know, mm-hmm. trying to create these massive benchers who instead I'd rather be using jammers. I'd rather be using cables. I'd rather be using dumbbells, but actually adding some explosive hip drive to it at the same time, you know, like bridging into it, stuff like that, where I'm connecting the upper body and lower body, but instead we're still like, Hey, how many reps of 225 can you do? And wow, that was 42 reps. You're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. You won the bench press competition. Let's see how your career goes. Yeah. You know, I know there's a local high school here that's done a pretty good job with their strength and conditioning program. And they've, they've basically taken the velocity based training approach. So these guys can only go up in numbers if they maintain bar speed. They mainly do, you know, power cleans. They'll do either front or back squats. Those are the two big lifts. And if, if they don't, they don't stay in that kind of speed strength mode, then they can't move on in weight. And they've had great results. I love the concept of we, us starting to use velocity with the bar mm-hmm. and being able to track it and being able to use it in that setting. I think that's amazing. And I, I love that we're getting there because I really think those velocity numbers should be how we kind of do, judge everything. But we're going to continue. The, the thing is, and you know, I'm getting my master's in applied exercise science, which is fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of a lot of the literature we're reading is not up to date and I'm in a master's yeah. level class which is really mm. interesting. And so at the end of the day like we need to start getting to a point with our strength and conditioning where we're we're starting to bring it up to the next level where science is. The problem is that you have strength and conditioning coaches from 50 years ago creating the next group of strength and conditioning coaches that you have to intern under who create the next group of strength and conditioning coaches that you have Mm -hmm. to intern under who are the same as the ones from 50 years ago and we're still coaching stuff from 50 years ago we're still Mm -hmm. running nebraska Mm -hmm. you know we're still running their protocols which are completely antiquated at this point Mm -hmm. so you know you I, i hope for the best for for football i see changes in basketball and soccer which i really like and even some in baseball where they're starting to reach out to people who are, you know, the Yankees obviously reaching out last year and getting a strength and conditioning coach who was uh, who, to oversee the whole thing, who was incredibly intelligent and understood what was going on. But we're still seeing with football for some reason, because it's a barbarian sport, a lot of antiquated mindsets that I really hope for the sake of the athletes participating in them would change. Are you getting most of your clientele out of their shoes when they train or are you keeping them? in their footwear depends so in my studio at uh that i own everybody is for the most part barefoot mm-hmm. and if they're not barefoot they are wearing barefoot shoes shout out to vivo for having awesome shoes i love their company and encourage all of my clients to buy themselves a pair for their workouts and most of my clients end up buying themselves multiple pairs for just life which is awesome mm-hmm. the new the new studio that i just started at very recently is or clinic as a performance director, the owner and I have an understanding. I'm changing some things. So one of my one of my changes is he saw me training without my shoes on. He goes, this isn't the kind of place that we do that in. I was like, you mean earth? It's not earth? I'm supposed to train without the, like, I'm not going to wear elf shoes. I'm not going to make my clients wear elf shoes. If that's a problem for you, let me know. We'll just nip this in the bud right now. And mm-hmm. he kind of backed off a little bit. Understanding that, like, I'm coming from a place of care. So I would mm-hmm. rather everybody... If you're in a controlled environment, why are you not training barefoot? Do your athletes feel a difference? I mean, I mean, I tend to see sometimes with people that have knee issues, you get them back understanding sheer force, landing impacts. Within a quick amount of time, they feel a natural difference on the reduction of the knee stress. Yeah, that was one of the sticking points actually when I was at football was I ran a weight room that was barefoot. I didn't mm-hmm. care. I'm the strength and conditioning coach. And I was like, you're not wearing slides in here. You're not wearing your J's. 
You want to come in wearing weightlifting shoes. That's your prerogative. But if you're otherwise, you are going to be barefoot when you train. And well, what happens if he drops a weight on his foot? A shoe's not really going to change yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not steel-toed boots, right? It's not really going to change anything. And the kids fell in love with it. We'd go outside. We had a turf field. I would have them do some running drills, not usually at full speed, but just literally just getting through gait cycle and learning how to be barefoot, clawing through the ball of that foot to actually push off. And they all loved it. And it got to the point where, coach, taking my shoes off and leaving them in the locker room. Cool. I appreciate that you're volunteering that information to me. I agree that people feel the difference as soon as they start doing it. And just, it's so weird to me that for some reason, our society has almost demonized feet. Ooh, feet are Ooh. disgusting. Ooh, feet are nasty. Ooh, wear your shoes. But all the performance shoes now are more based on style. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not really an actual performance thing. It's looks. No. Yeah. yeah. I, I Thankfully, companies like Zero. Vivo, Lems, they, they've stepped in and said, hey, there's this part of the market that we're going to step into and we're going to try and provide to people. And look, I mean, my Vivos last for freaking ever. I've had some pairs for six, six years, right? Oh, wow. And, Damn, and that's pretty and, good. Yeah. My wife brought them back to life. I'll, I'll send you the uh, recipe for how they stopped smelling really bad because they don't use <laughs> our stocks with them. <laughs> but ultimately, like, there's no benefit in making a product that somebody's not going to buy multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if I make something, if I make the everlasting gobstopper, I better charge $150 per gobstopper. But some of these companies have stepped in and said, hey, we're going to make high quality stuff. And yes, it's going to be a little higher in price point but it's better for you. Mm-hmm. And I love that, that that stepped in. So I train barefoot as much as I can. My son will never be in anything other than barefoot shoes. I do not care what he sees at school. And that'll probably be a fight when he's 10, 11, 12 years old. And I'm hoping if probably I ever sooner decide... Than that. Yeah, sooner, <laughs> yeah, than, yeah, sooner than that. Peer pressure. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am hoping... Well, when he's a better athlete than everybody else, they'll ask what shoes he's wearing. Um, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and then... I'm really hoping somebody develops barefoot cleat and I've seen some development of it. There's a Ooh. couple of, there's an Instagram account I follow where these guys are R and Ding basically barefoot cleats for soccer right now. And I'm Ooh. hoping we start to see that because I think that's the really, that's the next genesis of giving athletes control back over their foot and the function of their foot with what they're doing. Yeah. The tough thing with cleats is that, I mean, for a cleat to work yeah. properly, you need a stiff sole. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I could see them starting out with like a really wide toe box cleat, start there right. and then figure out how to make something more malleable. Yeah. But you know, just like, like golf shoes, right? They're pretty stiff. I was just about to say, right. I yeah. was just about to say golf shoes. Golf yeah. Shoes. And those um, are, those cleats are tiny compared to like a football, football cleat, cleat. Or soccer cleat. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, we've got some really intelligent engineering out there. I think five years ago, if you would have told me, you know, what we see from phones and cars and everything else even five years ago i would have told you you're absolutely out of your mind granted nobody's flying in cars yet which is really annoying oh it'll be around to it'll be around (laughs) in the not too distant future oh yeah i heard elon musk talk about that he's like oh we could do it but just think about about how loud it would be it's Uh, too loud he's like basically when you're landing you know all the all the air pressure and wind is creating too much too much noise and chaos if you're to do it in a residential neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's right around the corner. I mean, yeah, I feel like could, the yeah. Jetsons lied to us. It's like 2010 yeah. Jetsons. <laughs> <laughs> we're still we're I'm still driving my V8 truck. Yes, I know it's not energy efficient, but gosh darn it, I like to be able to pass people in my V8 truck. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because talking to Dr. Emily Splickle, you know, and her first foray when she was invited to talk to the uh, NFL strength and conditioning staff. And really, it wasn't that long ago. It was only a handful of years ago. But to think about the reaction she got from a lot of the coaches was just groundbreaking. Like, oh my goodness, haven't really thought about this. Haven't thought really about the effect on the whole kinetic chain of when that foot gets locked into a certain position. And we really lock the ankles into a certain position, how that affects all the way up. So, you know, even someone with her level of education and information is just now getting out there. Right. Yeah, she's brilliant. Got to interview her for the nonprofit organization I put together. And that was probably one of my favorite interviews. We did a two-part interview where we talked about, you know, what the military and law enforcement face and 
you know, the shoes that they have to wear and then, you know, the foot and everything else, which I thought was really cool. She, I eat up every bit of education that he, she puts out there. And I, I'd say that we have to stand on the shoulders of giants. And if you've ever met her, she's not very giant, but from an intellectual perspective, she is a super giant. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's been amazing being able to connect with people like you guys and her and Gray Cook and guys who are, we're all of the same mind frame. Like we need to get back to basic human function as we've advanced as a civilization, we've gotten further away from basic human function. And it, it's invigorating to see that there are people out there like her who are incredibly intelligent, who are MDs, who are literally out there, but also preaching this at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, I look forward to the day where there's more of them out there, where there's more people who are like, hey, basic human function, the ability to move, that's what we should be striving for. And if we did that, how many health effects would we get rid of? You know, mm-hmm. how, how much change could we create in a society? How, how less an impact on our economy would aches and pains and insurance actually end up being. I want to say that I want to see that by the, you know, when my son's an adult and that's why I'm going to master's, go get my master's because I want to get published and I want to do all of that stuff. I want to do research because I, I think we need to just get back to the, whatever our design was meant to be. And I think we're really far away from it in certain areas. And then when it comes to performance, we're pushing the boundaries of performance but also we're sacrificing some basic human function to do that. And there's got to be a happy middle ground between the two. I mean, I, re- I really feel like there has to be. I don't know, man, with, with performance at the elite level, it's mm-hmm. almost impossible because yeah. you're, you're pushing your body beyond what it's supposed to do. Normal human function, right? We're talking normal human function. So if you look at a sport, that's not normal human function. It's not necessity anymore it's something you're doing hey you're doing this five six days a week even in ancient times you wouldn't have done that five six days a week so when you're doing this you're taking these collisions i mean your your body just it just breaks down i mean you can do as much as we can to to try to mitigate all the effects but i don't think that we can ever prevent all these injuries or you know when you're taking it to this highest levels there's going to be catastrophic injuries I think injury mitigation should be the name of the game and not prevention. You know, I yeah. remember uh, Dr. Spina talking about throwing a rock. Mm-hmm. We, we were all intended to throw. Okay. That was, that was the, that well, we have the anatomy and the yep. ability to be able to throw. Right. But we weren't intended to throw a rock 90 feet at 90 miles an hour into the same eight inch box a hundred yeah. times. I totally get that. But I also think that the way that we've now changed the way that we're training people i think first of all i think the people who are elite athletes and i i've never seen this any studies i think they're genetically just different than the rest oh, of they us. are oh yeah okay they're, they're by okay far, yeah. so so we're dealing with it we're de- dealing with genetic superhumans at that point you know who have higher capacities than what normal human function is mm-hmm. and so if i'm i'm training somebody like you know, if you can't tell on on my back, I love Batman. But if I was training Batman, right, he's going to be the highest peak of absolute human potential possible. And I think when we're dealing with those high level athletes, when I'm dealing with a guy like Maurice Allen, who can hit a ball 500 yards and 288 miles an hour, I think it was 188 miles an hour, whatever it was, it was sick and silly. And just, I couldn't even fathom hitting a ball that hard or that far, but mm-hmm. we're dealing with genetic we're, we're dealing with this genetic yeah. predisposition to be greater than everybody else. But we can't just go, hey, they're going to be greater than everybody else. They can take it all. Because in essence, they can't take it all, right? So we need to give them every opportunity to continue to be able to do what, what they want to do for as long as they want to do it. But Neil, you're right. Like We should be in the business of injury mitigation with those, with those populations, not prevention. Prevention is impossible, right? You know, yeah, low, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's things, things will break down, but the more access I give you, the less likely you are to have something catastrophic. And I'm going to use this example. Patrick Mahomes dislocated his kneecap in a football game two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Most people, and I think they said two to 10 weeks, I think is what mm-hmm. they said with the dislocated kneecap or, or it was four to 10 week, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. it was, it was a great, he was back in two. Why was he back in two? Well, one, the guy's just a genetic freak, but also two, Watch the way his strength coach works with him all the time. Mm-hmm. When that kneecap dislocated, it didn't go grab something else. It just dislocated so that when it came back in and the 
inflammation was gone, he could go back to normal play because he gave him that capacity to be able to do that. He implemented things to be able to have that not be a catastrophic injury. That's what we should be doing for our elite level athletes with their training, especially when they're at that level, give them capacity so that if you know, they take a step wrong or somebody blows their knee out. It doesn't take absolutely everything with it. But that's kind of what we're seeing right now is that not training those things, not training those different ranges, not training those different positions. It's just continuing to one little thing becomes catastrophic, right? And we need to do a better job as strength conditioning professionals, as educators to get the people to understand and the athletes to understand, hey, we may not be pushing barbells in this phase. And we may be doing a lot of positional isometrics, but trust me, when someone runs into your ankle or your knee and you are able to get up from it and it's not a catastrophic injury, you're going to thank me. You're going to thank this phase of your training. Well, you got to remember at the elite level too, there's a lot of monetary reward for hitting those levels. So Mm -hmm. you're talking about, we as fans are paying to see that. Uh, We're not paying to see mediocrity. We're paying to see the best of the best. And that's always going to come with a price to the person, to the people who are trying to achieve that. So we, yeah, we can do our best to mitigate it. But for people out there, they're like, oh, we can prevent all these injuries. No, it's impossible. A lot of the non-contact injuries we feel can be clearly trained differently. Sure. In most cases, especially with contact injuries, shit's going to happen. I mean, it's just... It's going to happen. But if we can mitigate the severity, if we can get the body more resilient, do we suffer a a less intense injury? And if we can do that, if on a scale of one to 10, the injury originally probably would have been a 10. But if we get now that person's injury is actually down to a six because of the way he or she trains. Well, that just means the recovery rate is going to be much quicker. And that person is going to be available to the coach to be able to play a lot sooner. And so I think that's the one thing that we're starting to see more of with these athletes coming back a little bit quicker than the norm is because Mm -hmm. they're getting better training. But in also some respects, I think when we talk about training, I just think we try to make things so complicated uh, that more often than not, in my opinion, less is more. You know, Mm -hmm. just getting back to bare bone basics and not just trying to confuse people. There's all these different training philosophies and all these different ways that people have come up with, uh, with how to train. I tend to stay primarily with my strength training and supersets. And if, Mm -hmm. if anything, triceps, if things are unilateral Mm -hmm. and that's, that tends to be where I live my, my life with training. And I tend to, you know, most of my clients, if they're training with me, it's undulating programming. So, you know, especially, you know, I, I'm currently working with quite a few professional wrestlers now. Mm-hmm. So one of the, one of the biggest professional wrestlers in the world, shout out to Kenny Omega is one of my clients right now. And Kenny's awesome. And Kenny's been in the business a long time. He was just rated the number one wrestler in the world. And we got connected through a mutual friend. And he just basically said to me, I want to keep doing this for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And it's this, it's this interesting dynamic of training somebody like that to look great on camera. But then also be able to function, and he's he's basically doing choreographed stunt work mm-hmm. twice a week. Oh, yeah. you know, taking bumps, doing stuff. And my job is to give him as much capacity as possible as he's going through those things. And where he texted me the other day, we're only a couple weeks into this program that I have him on right now, and he's like, "I'm already feeling more movement. I'm already feeling like I could jump a little more. I'm already feeling like I could do things just a little more." which was the whole intent. I should just call it the little more program. It's a little yeah, more every single time. It's just a little more. It's all it is. It's just a little more every single time. And, he, and he's really enjoying it. And I love training the guy because he just comes in. He works hard. He asks questions and he does exactly what he's supposed to do. It's an interesting population to train. They love stick. As soon as I put a stick in their hands, they absolutely love working with it, especially isometrics. They really, really enjoy but um, ultimately, it's this very interesting population where I have to blend a little bit of aesthetics mm-hmm. oh, with yeah. oh, a yeah. lot of function and performance at the same time. So it's this very interesting, and there's no season, right? It's just mm-hmm. year no, round. No, it's year round. It's year mm-hmm. round, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, it's like crap. I can't, you know, I can't crescendo a programming. You know, I can't really like work with that and travel schedules and everything else. I mean, I feel like if I can program for these guys, I can probably program for any sport that has a regular, <laughs> a yeah. regular season schedule at this point. But no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And, and I continue to preach it to this day. Even people who come to me with pain, 
and I, and I have people come to me with pain and look, I'm, I'm not a physical therapist. I don't tell people I'm a physical therapist, mm-hmm. but when they come to me with pain, they're like, listen, my low back hurts. It's like, great. Let me see if I can get your hip more function, your thoracic spine to rotate a little bit better. Let's see where your gait cycle is. Oh, you're not going to do anything about my low back. I'm like, let's make the rest of you more functional. Let's let your low back be a low back again, which is probably what the problem is. Let's screen it and kind of see where you move and then go from there. My job is not to fix pain. My job is to make you more functional so that you can be less in pain because you are a dysfunctional mover in general. I think that's the big difference. You know, I've had some people literally go, are you a physio? Are you a physical therapist? I'm like, no, I don't even want to go to school for that. I'm getting my master's yeah, no. and that's it. You yeah. know, But I'm, if I can make you more functional and I can make your hip become a hip again, your low back probably has, gets to stop being a hip now. And that's the way I talk to people now and how I explain what I do. If you're, if you're a dysfunctional mover and you're in pain, let's just work on making you a functional mover and see what happens. Most of yeah. the time, good things. Yeah. Expand the movement vocabulary. Uh, unfortunately, right. most people's movement vocabulary is really small. Mm-hmm. And the less vocabulary you have, even from a linguistic standpoint, it just shows, it reflects, right? So in the same way, we try to educate kids to be a little bit more eloquent have a vo- bigger vocabulary movement works in the same exact parameters right if you only mm-hmm. have access to eight different patterns that you use all the time uh, you're going to have a hard time getting through life and you're going to have a really hard time getting through sports yeah for sure and i mean neo you golf i wish i was a better golfer but i mean think about the different deviations <clears throat> of your swing does the club travel the same place every single time as you go through it? I guarantee you there's no. small deviations and every single it. time. Right? You would love it to. Oh, you'd right? love it to. You'd if you could bottle that. You want to be a machine, <laughs> right? But like the only time you're you're on a flat, you know, surface is on the tee box. Yeah. Everything right. else, you know, if you don't have good joint mobility, good body control, you can't get into the right position to even have enough leverage and balance to get your club on a good plane on the way down. If you're on an uphill lie, side hill lie, downhill lie, in a bunker, you know, it, it's always changing there all the time. And you're just trying to get as close as you can to that proper plane every time you swing, whether it's a chip, a drive, or, you know, iron shot. And so then my goal becomes, how do I make my golfer to be more efficient in rotation, more precise with his rotation, and have more capacity to rotate in different positions? And so it's like, the more we can start doing the the expansion of your acumen thing, which I think I heard you say that years ago and I stole it and I've used it quite a few times since then, Dennis, mm-hmm. but like ultimately like expanding your movement acumen, your ability to express the way you move. It's a, from a performance standpoint, likely going to increase your ability to perform because now I can express force at a bunch of different places, you know, and then B it's going to allow me to be more resilient so I can, a, if I'm trying to perform at a high level, continue to do it. Or B, if I'm just doing it for recreation, continue to do it because I like to do it. Yep. And I think for me, like moving into the position I'm in as a performance director at OBMT, and it's a great location, the athletic training staff, Cairo on staff, who's very movement focused, movement based. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist as well. And I'm getting people after they're uh, basically they're asymptomatic. They're coming to me for whatever biomechanical correctives that they need to do. That's the mindset. And just for me being there a couple days, the people are soaking it up. They're like, I play tennis. I play golf. I want to keep playing tennis. I want to keep playing golf. It's like, okay, well, let's expand your ability to move, handle rotation, rotate. How do your hips work? Let's just kind of see how you are in general. But for some reason, we have this all or nothing principle when it comes to fitness. It's got to be hit or it's got to be super strength. Man, as I've gotten older, I just find myself days. It's like, I'm going to do some Turkish get-ups and probably do work a little mobility. And man, it was a good day. I don't get to do fun stuff like you guys get to do because I don't necessarily usually have anybody like tugging on me as I'm trying to crawl (laughs) across the ground or anything like that. But, you gotta get you, know. you gotta get some training partners for some Sunday shenanigans, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have that, bro. Yeah, well, I it's know. interesting I, you bring up the contours, right? Mm-hmm. In golf, but I, and it's that is such a simple perspective that I just I don't understand why people are having a hard time understanding. The gym is the only you, you stand on a flat surface, right? But if you have more, if you want a bigger understanding of joint function and capacity change your contours change your levels uh, because that's where people really run into real issues is because they don't do that and then all of a sudden when they need it 
the body's all like, where the hell is this shit? And how am I supposed to deal with it? Right. It's like, you know, you draw that circle of capacity, right? And you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is your muscle. This is this one movement pattern. And if you just train this, you know, squat, XX in a squat, toes slightly turned out, and that's the only way you ever squat, that's going to be your capacity for a squat. So -hmm. what happens when the knee may have to deviate because the surface that you're on, okay? Mm -hmm. Or your left leg's a little farther forward in front than your right leg. What happens? We're... You know, I think there's a poet, there's a Greek poet, Aaron Guyette uses this quote a lot. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Mm-hmm. That's something I've always, you know, since I heard him say it, God, it's been since 2015 or 16, whenever we ended up meeting. But since I heard him say that, I've used it all the time as a barometer where I say, this is why we have to train all of these things. This is why I do squats with my feet to the outside sometimes and the soles facing each other. So I can work the outside of my ankle so that if I step off a curve, it's not a catastrophic ankle injury that I just sustained. It's more of a nuisance. Yeah, exactly. It's like, ah, dadgummit, why did I step off the curve like that? But for some reason, and and I think you guys see things differently in the West Coast than we do on the East Coast. For some reason, I feel like the East Coast is constantly catching up with whatever's happening on the West Coast in regards to the health and movement and everything else. And you guys may have a better perspective on that than me. Orlando mm. feels like we're in the 1980s when it comes to movement. Everybody wants to do, you know, bodybuilding and uh, cut off shirts and all that stuff. <laughs> um, uh, so it's just different. It's this different dynamic here where it's like, well, year round it's sunny. I better look like I have a six pack. It's like, yeah, and keep going to the Cairo six times a week. That sounds like a good idea too. I still think the majority of people that train are still more aesthetic focused. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's unfortunately it's, it's always going to be that, you know, way. and I think that's going to be the case because people typically don't get into this until they feel like they can't move anymore. They're a little bit injured, right? right? They're just going to keep right. doing what they're doing. If it's not affecting my activities, I'm getting bigger, I'm getting stronger. This is awesome. But then, yeah, once something happens, it's like, okay, what do I do now? And even then some people just, yeah, they just cover it up. Give me some shit to get rid of the symptoms. Right. And then I'll just keep doing what I do until there's ultimately a point of no return where they're like, okay, now I got my hip replaced. And then yet that person (laughs) with the hip replacement goes back to doing exactly what he or she was doing doing before. before. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, I just replaced the joints. I'm going to continue doing it. I'm like, so it is what it is. But unfortunately, you know, it, that's, that's always going to, I think be the vast majority of, of we're always going to be in the minority. And that's, it is what it is. And we got to be good with it because the way people train is really a lot of times what keeps us in business in in respect (laughs) to, it is, it is, you know, but people are at some point typically going to have that epiphany of understanding that the ability to move is going to supersede all the other things that they want to do. So whether it happens, unfortunately, till they wait till they're 50 or 60, you know, you would love to see them get on that my in that mindset at a much earlier age, right. but I, we just have to be there and ready for them to help them out. You know, when that moment comes, we were kind of talking yeah. about this the other day. We we're like, "Hey, look, you don't have to change your whole training program. You can still do all your bodybuilding stuff. It's fine, but just add in ten to fifteen percent of mobility." You know, you maybe it's a day of your training, or maybe it's just a little portion of it. It, it doesn't have right. to be super complicated, and you can still still you're not going to lose gains. Well, it's like you no. you said what you do with Kenny, right? You you, yeah. you you still you need to train him to aesthetically look good on TV and in the ring. Sure, but you sure. also are tra- blending in that training of of keeping them looking good and in the ring. So there's those two aspects. Yeah, it's not an all or nothing principle. I, I don't think being aesthetically pleasing. And I put this in a post I made the other day. I don't think putting being aesthetically pleasing and being functional are mutually exclusive. They're not. And he even, I mean, he even said it to me. He goes, 80% of the way I'm going to look on camera is going to be because of what happens in the kitchen. And when I sleep at night, I'm like, thank you very much for being intelligent. (laughs) I really appreciate that, sir. But like, but like ultimately you're, you're a hundred percent right. It's what I preach to my people. That's why what I call movement driven strength and conditioning, I've kind of I've given it my own name to what I do because I'm focusing on movement and movement quality, but there's still components of strength and conditioning. I love landmine work and I love incorporating it for people. I love battle rope work. If you don't know this about me, I love isometrics. I love TRX. 
you know, and I can do all of those things and still work towards aesthetically pleasing and being functional at the same time. And at the end of the day, I know we're going to be the minority, but Mm -hmm. I also know that I'm going to continue shouting from the rooftops. Hey, let's, let's elevate the way we're training. Let's elevate it now. Let's stop doing things that science said even 20 years ago, we shouldn't be doing anymore. You know, and if you want aesthetically based, I mean, you guys have a trained eye. How many people have you seen who are like this? Oh, yeah. and they're like, yeah, look at all my muscles. It's like, yeah, do you know what's happening back there? Yeah, <laughs> <Do> you- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got muscles, but like that one's way higher than that one. And, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, you see the way somebody walks or they stand and their feet are like way out like this. And you're like, do you think that's normal? Do you, are you even paying attention to it? You know, I, I, I liken it to Neo in the matrix when he comes back to life and he starts seeing everything in code. That's how I, that's how I view Mm -hmm. like everything now, like movement and posture and gait. And I'm just like, Oh, we were watching Spider-Man one the other day with Tobey Maguire Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's chasing after a bus. And it is so evident that Tobey Maguire had never sprinted before in his entire life (laughs) because there was no, there's no hip extension there were feet just kicking out to the side as he was mm-hmm. trying to sprint. And I showed it to my best friend. I was like, are you seeing this? He's like, seeing what? What are you seeing? And I was like, I had slowed it down for him. He goes, oh yeah, that's a little unnatural. I'm like, a little unnatural. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's someone that had back issues. Is he? Oh yeah, when he was filming Spider-Man, he had back issues. Yeah, I remember them talking about that. So that was, yeah. So biomechanically, when you look at that stuff and then you find out that he did have back issues because Cider House Rules was another one uh, where he was having some back issues that I had read during that filming, whether it was a carryover or not. But yeah, you look at the biomechanics of how he runs and, and he's a young, he was a young kid at the time. Yeah. It's not like he yeah. was our age. He's not like 45 and going, oh, shit, now I got to be this action hero. Uh, right. He was a younger kid. It's just increased stress in the wrong places. And you're asking for more capacity out of areas that kind of, it's like asking the person in the mailroom to all of a sudden become the CEO tomorrow. Okay. When you check, when you clock out today, tomorrow, when you show up, you're going to be the CEO. Right. Uh, And how the hell do I do that? Right. (laughs) Right. So in our body, it kind of, you can kind of think of that relationship in many aspects of certain areas. You're really, are we asking for a little bit too much? Should we be getting less out of there and more out of other areas? Because I think what's interesting is when people can't move, the psychological impact that has on them, Mm. right? I mean, when somebody's bedridden with back injuries, I I don't care how good you look with your shirt off. You you can't get out of bed. So what did that that do for you, right? Yeah. I've had that conversation with some of my clients where I'm like, I'm training you to be able to wipe your ass when you're 90. That's my goal. That's that's my goal. And along the line, we're going to make some really good health decisions and we're going to control what we're putting in our body. And we're going to make sure we sleep at night. And I guarantee you, you'll step out of the shower and you'll, you'll feel like besides feeling like you move well, you'll probably look good too. But that's why on, on the window of unconventional strength, it's been strength, mobility, and movement without limits. And my mindset's always been, I want you to be able to go on vacation and see that thing you want to do and not have to say to yourself, oh, I can't do that. It was going to hurt my back. Like that's, that's the way I've always kind of coined the way I train general population, which is I want you to be able to see it and do it. If you mm-hmm. want, if it's something that you have the financial ability to do, I want you to have the physical capacity to do it. Yeah. And I don't want you to ever have to go on a trip and not be able to climb, you know, go to the top of Whistler or do the you know, go to Vancouver, one of the most beautiful cities in the world and go do, they've got that Stairmaster, the nation's largest Stairmaster or the world's largest Stairmaster. It's all these stairs that go up to the top of the mountain. And I never, I never want you to be able to go. I don't want you to have to go there and go, Hey, I can't do that either because I don't Mm. have the aerobic capacity to do it, or I don't have the movement capacity to do it, or I don't have both. I want you to just be able to pick something and say, I'm going to do it. And that's the greatest thing I can give to my clients. The greatest thing I can give to my clients is the ability to just do what you want to do and not be physically limited to do those. And sure, we suffer traumas that limit some of the stuff that we do and can do. But ultimately, like if you haven't suffered any major traumas, you know, I want to give you as much capacity as you can possibly have, give you as much movement acumen as you can possibly have, and have a little fun 
and probably a little sarcastic and snarky along the way. <laughs> so you took the stick mobility course. When was that? Was that 2017? Before I was a, it was before I was a dad. So yeah, I'm thinking two, it was either 2016 or 2017. I'd have to look. It was in uh, South Florida. Yeah. yeah. So, so it might've, you- no, it might've been six. No, it might've been 16. Because when you came to town to do the Braves thing that we did oh, together, yeah, 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 yeah. my yeah. son had just been born and I had already talked to you guys and everything mm, else. So I think right, it was, yeah. it, I think it was 16 when I did it in South Florida mm. with that group. So, so when it comes to what was one of the things that, that really made it was an aha moment for you when you learned about what we do and what our system is. So at this point, I hadn't been introduced to FRC or Dr. Spina's work whatsoever at all. So the way I'd always done mobility was all movement-based and not really like the concept of positional isometrics and irradiation in positioning was not something that I had studied or glossed over, maybe heard Kelly Sturette or Greg Cook talk about it a little bit, just totally glossed it over and moved on. As soon as I started looking into that concept of radiation and understanding, being able to put tension on what you were doing, that was my aha. That was my aha moment. And it, it carried over to so much other stuff. And I actually credit you guys for introducing me to Spina's work, which drove me to FRC, which mm-hmm. made me go to get my FRC and then eventually become a kin stretch instructor. But that con- that concept of how to actually change neurology and actually get somebody to respond the way that we want them to respond from mobility, that was my that was my aha moment. And looked at it, but also. Stuff looked really cool. Let's let's be honest here. It looks great when you're first seeing it, but then when you start deep diving into the science behind it, it totally changes it. And uh, I that's that's what drove me to it. It was a great two days. I think it was it's a two day it was a two day live course, and it was a, it was an awesome two days. I was sore in places I was not expecting to be sore afterwards. And as you can see, this is the logo of my shirt. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. well, yeah. I yeah, still I mean, wear that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got that shirt. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, as soon as we rebranded, the stick became yeah. part of my identity, became part of it because you guys stood for the same stuff that I have learned to stand for over that time. So, uh, to answer your first question, it was the irradiation and positional tension that I had not really dove into. That as soon as I started diving into it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this concept is game changing stuff. Because what I love about your shirt is it says just move. Because that's the thing is people are just a lot of people now are just afraid to move. Mm-hmm. There's there there's trepidation about movement. Well, this right. may happen. This may happen. Well, shit, anything can happen. But it, right. if you don't move, how do you even know what what that is, right? So, right. you know, and that's our thing is it, it, we don't care what you do, just do it. And right. if things happen, then we'll take care of it, and then we'll get you back up and running and and get you doing what you love to do right and you know the thing i've always preached to people is you know and i i forgot where i read this or forgot who said it i've done so much education at this point somebody probably said it something that i took but basically it was the concept of being able being out of shape is hard working out is hard pick your heart Mm -hmm. and so it's like listen like at the end of the day i look at movement as an investment like Mm -hmm. i said I want to wipe my ass when I'm 90. I've seen what people who don't move as they age, what that creates. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to still school my son on a basketball court when he's in his 20s, even when I'm whatever age that that's going to be, you know? And I think for us as movement professionals, but also just as human beings, that's got to be the the basis of which we both train others and train ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And we could get in... It could be a really fun conversation about whether patterning actually exists or not, or if there really are patterns, we should train patterns, that right. sort of thing. At the end of the day, you're, you're moving and I'm really happy for you, right? Yep, yep. Early on in my career, when I started gestating everything and taking in everything I could and reading everything I could, I had all these really angry uh, reactions to different things I'd see. You know, different brands, different classes you could go to. And I was like, that's garbage. You're going to hurt yourself. This is what... And now I'm just kind of at a point where I'm just like, well, they're not sitting on the couch and yeah. I'm happy to see that. Yeah. And if I can talk to them, I would love to give them some advice on some things that I would sprinkle in and here's some education. Here's some things I read. Here's a podcast that I, I think would be great for you to listen to. 
and for you to, you know, decide whatever your flavor is of movement. If your flavor is biking for the rest of your life, awesome. Add in some strength training because we know we need it and figure out how you want to do that, whether it's with a kettlebell or a steel mace or a TRX or body weight, or, uh, you know, if you want to just go get under a bar for the rest of your life, I don't necessarily recommend it, but you know, that's your thing, but at least you're not just sitting there doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And the percentage of people who are sitting there doing nothing is astronomical. And we saw it, right? We saw it in 2020. We saw this sickness come in and, you know, I I don't want to talk too much about it, but Mm -hmm. it literally became a pandemic of sick who people who were already sick. Mm -hmm. It was one of the main, that was one of the main concerns with you. If you were already a sick person, if you were already obese, already had type two diabetes, already had respiratory issues, you know, if you already had all those things, it made you more susceptible to some really catastrophic things happening to you. And so it's like, we want to see people move more. That should be the message that we're giving to people and not making war camps in the fitness industry about my way is best. Yeah. We got to stop doing that. Yeah. We got to stop doing that. It's driving people away. It's driving wedges between people. We need to have a movement culture where I look at my guy who's doing functional patterns in my studio. And I'm like, Hey, I don't agree with a lot of that stuff, but man, your clients are moving. And I'm really happy to see that. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Because our clients, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care what system you have. Right. They really don't. They're not going to ask you. I can quote Greg. I can quote Gray cook all day long. I can quote quote Spina all day long. I can tell you what pails and rails are. If their hip moves in a way that it's never moved before, they don't really care how it got there, right? I mean, I care because I want to be able to track it and progress it and regress it and do everything that I need to do to it. And I find myself, and you you guys probably do too, where you're like really excited about something. So you talk a little bit too much about the science behind it. Well, this happened because of this. And it's like, you get really excited. And I I don't think it's a wrong thing to do, but at the same time, your client's like, yeah, it's (laughs) rotating. Yeah, they're like, (laughs) as long as they feel good, as long yeah. as they're more productive and, and they're not injured, that, that's their three priorities. You uh-huh. know, they want to look a little better naked. Okay, great. But that's really what they're after. The the, the vast majority of people, right? That's right. what they're yeah. after. So, yeah. you know, it's just, so it's, it's understanding the context of what most people are after. And that's the biggest thing. And really understanding now we're starting to see more of getting people to realize the mindset and really making sure the people are in a happier place more than uh, criticizing what they do versus, yep. you know, I mean, I was just as guilty of that 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I'd rip on. Yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. What? Oh, who cares? Who gives a shit? Nobody right. gives a shit. Right. No. So, you know, if if I see somebody with a running pattern that, yeah, oh, my God, that's a wreck. But <laughs> that person without running is just miserable. I don't want the person to be miserable. Right. So let's get a hold of you. What do you need to get taken care of and get back outside, start running again? Yeah. Cause the best way to get someone moving is get them hooked on something. Yeah. Right. I need to be yeah. hooked on it because they need to be self-motivated to get out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like if we're a movement professional, we're trying to, that's what functional fitness is, right? I mean, whatever their function is, whatever they want their function is, we got to create that for them. Right. You know, a, a, a functional fitness for a contortionist and functional fitness for, you know, a weekend warrior are not going to be the same thing. Right. The requirements aren't the same. So I think you're you're 100 percent right. And I find myself kind of going towards that at this stage in my life. And, and I'm not that old. I'm 38. For those of you who are listening or watching. And I've been doing this for 10 years as I'm starting to evolve the way I train. And I think we should you know, all continue. I like to say that you know, you can have 10 years of experience or one year of experience 10 times. And I feel like each year mm. I've created another change, another evolution, another concept. I used to be so like dogmatic about certain mm. things. And now I just find myself being like, Hey, you know what? Yeah. That hip car doesn't quite look right, but you know, we did some good things with the hip there. Let's just move yeah. on to something else that you enjoy, you know? And because the CNS and the effect of that on the body and the effect of you know, how you feel after you get done with a training session is so crucial. Yeah. It's so crucial. And that, that dogmatism, I don't even know what this word, if it is, I just made it one, but the dogmatic abilities, the, the, the things I would have are like, no, we got to do this. This is what your programming is. This is what we're working towards. It's gone out of me. It's actually easier to coach now. I'm, I'm yeah. happier as a coach, you know, that's a gr- different. That, what you just said was great because I heard somebody 
on Fantasy League Radio the other day, because you know how social media is. Everybody wants to rip on somebody. And what's interesting is, is the person that was speaking said, you know what? People who go on social media and just rip other people for what they believe or do, that person probably, when if you were to look at them or evaluate them, most likely they're probably pretty depressed at their own life. Yeah. Because happy people, satisfied people, don't have time for that. Right. And when they he said that, I was like, oh, that's yeah, I think that's kind of true. Yeah. So it's like if you're spending that much time making the effort to go on social media and rip on somebody, how happy are you inside? How, right. are you, how good of a place can you be in? Because I think it's like you said, the less dogmatic you become, the happier you are as a coach. It's just it's really it, that light switch flips on and you're like, OK, that system didn't work for that client. But this system did, right? Whereas with another client, that system worked for that client. Right. So yep. I just got to figure out which piece is going to work for which in which puzzle. They're, they're all tools in a toolbox, right? Like each yeah, one exactly. of those systems is just a tool in a toolbox. And we become like dogmatic with our, you know, oh, I'm just going to follow this one. Everything has to fall into this one. Mm-hmm. When in essence, you know, it, it was such a pleasure to get to talk to Gray Cook and Gray was talking about the overhead squat assessment. He's like, I never meant the overhead squat assessment to be the end all be all in movement quality. That was never its intention, you know, it, and if it doesn't work for our client, then we move to something that does work. But I think because at the end of the day, like we're here to help people move better. So whatever tool I'm going to pull out to do that, as long as it's founded with some sort of scientific backing, let's mm-hmm. use that tool. You know, let mm-hmm. me use stick mobility for some people. For some people that they, oh, it's the grip. It's just, okay, cool. Let me put you on some TRX straps. Oh, let's take you to the ground. You know, hey, grab the orange part of the stick instead of the black part of the stick. Oh, no, you can't do that. And it's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> you 100% can, you know? You Your know, grip the dog stronger, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like, you know, stuff like, you know, I, I went through, I love TRX. I'm one of their instructor candidates. You know, they've put kind of education on hold right now. So my, my path has been kind of frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, frozen in carbonite, Han Solo style. But like, ultimately, like you go to these conferences with people and they're like, oh, you must wrap your thumbs around the handles when you're holding. You have absolutely no choice. That is the way to do it. And it's like, is it though? I mean, <laughs> is it we okay for somebody to have their thumbs up here or for yeah. them to hook it? Like if I'm working on a squat and I'm not focused on necessarily their grip strength, does it really matter? We, we tend to pick these details out that we are taught and educated on, and we tend to just kind of focus on them or focus on the system at which we're taught. And it's as you get older, and I'd love to talk to young trainer Jesse. Like I'd love to have a conversation with that guy and mm. slap him around a little bit. But like ultimately, as we get older, it's like, hey, it's okay. You can use Gary Gray. You can use Gray yeah. Cook. You can use Andrew Smith. You can use stick mobility. You can use bands. You can use it if it works for the person you're working with because. You know, they, they have different lives. They have, you know, their CNS is different. All the CNSs are different. If we knew a, like a, a tenth of neurology, go ask a neurologist how, how much we know about neurology. They're going to be like, eh, about that much. And, you know, trillions of synapses firing at a time. And it's like, if I found something that works with that person's neurology and works with their uh, intrinsic motivation, well, awesome. I'm going to keep doing that. You know, don't overcomplicate it. Somebody likes running and that's their aerobic capacity work. Let them run. Somebody likes rucking, let them rock. Somebody yeah. likes doing battle rope for 30 minutes like I do, let them battle rope for 30 mm-hmm. minutes, you know? But like at the end of the day, we, we've got to, as a collection, as a healthcare collective, we have to stop trying to make these war camps where we hurl insults at others and talk about how what they're doing is the most terrible thing in the world. We just mm-hmm. got to stop doing it, you know? Yeah. And we just got to, we got to come together and realize, hey, MoveNet's doing something cool over there. I want to go check it out. Or, hey, I really like some of that functional patterns work where we're working kind of some of that. That's really cool stuff. Man, I pull so much Brett Contreras stuff out when I'm trying to work somebody's glutes because it's really good stuff. We got to be able to do that. And we, we got to stop you yeah. know, putting ourselves in a position where I do not do education from any platform that says their education is the only way. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I don't do it. I won't sit in. I won't pay for it. I won't do any of it. I just, I won't do it. I've done a lot of education at this point. If you don't have that mindset of inclusiveness and being able to draw from different places, kudos to Kelly Sturette. He used to be the first way. He's now the second way. And I love it about him. You know, it mm-hmm. used to be everything supple leopard, everything this, everything this. Now he's like quoting Gray Cook and talking about FMS and 
talking about like other different movement systems and stuff. And I love it. And I think it's made him an amazing, a much more awesome educator because of it. But I think we, we as a collective can be, can all have different hypotheses on how to make somebody better. All have different theories. We can all exercise those theories. And as long as we are all abiding by the Hippocratic oath of do no harm, Mm -hmm. then what does it matter what I'm doing as opposed to what you guys might be doing with your people? You know, I think what happens in our field too is a lot of trainers, their activity is training, right? And only training in the gym and they don't explore other things. They don't try climbing. They don't go play recreational sports um, and talk to other coaches that are in those sports that may not be in our field, but you learn so much about movement and different types of movement. And it just, it, like you're talking about, it just expands your vocabulary Mm -hmm. as a coach. For sure. I'm really competitive. So I stopped playing semi-competitive sports. I, I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a while. I have a, I have a ring finger that likes to dislocate all this time. It's oh, next. that's a tell. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a fun one when, <laughs> when it goes the other way. Uh, <laughs> tape it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously having a kid and everything else, but I yeah. still try and dip my toes in whatever I can dip my toes in. You know, eventually when he gets old enough and wants to start going to jujitsu, I'll probably find a place that has Muay Thai and go back to it again because I enjoy doing that. They're opening more climbing places. Heck, they just opened a really cool American Ninja Warrior place and I'm 6'3", 230 oh, really? pounds and not really meant to do a lot of this stuff. But I'll try. Yeah. Just make sure there's a foam pit underneath me and I will try and do it. <laughs> That's awesome to know because Jerry and I will be out in your neck of the woods in December. Okay. So yeah, I'll hit that. Oh, let's hit that place up. Yeah. I've been, yeah. We don't have any place around here like that. Like full on Ninja Warrior. The only place I know no, of I is Sessions. So That's But yeah. they're they're more of a parkour. parkour. Gym, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I would this love place to check that. This place literally is has Ninja Warrior logo on the door. I don't know if they're paying for that, but it, it's really cool if you drive by it. It looks like a castle, and it was for the longest time. You can see it right off of I four, which is the main road that goes to Orlando. Was the longest time was the headquarters for a I think like a pest control company. I was like, why is it a castle? What did this used to be? And uh-huh. so it went out of business. And then the other day I drove by and I was like, that is a Ninja Warrior gym in there. Hmm. I wonder how old I, my son has to be for me to take him there. So that type of stuff for me is, you know, I, I, I love Batman. So if I can do like a quarter of that stuff, I can, <laughs> I can half claim to or quarter claim to be Batman at least a little bit. I mean, I got the costume, so, you know, yeah, might as well. yeah, yeah, you do, you do. <laughs> nice, nice. I might as well be able to move in it just a little bit. <laughs> what are you going to be for? Are you going to be Batman for Halloween? You know, we don't actually celebrate Halloween okay. in our house, um, oh, but the cool okay. thing, the cool thing is for us, my son, when he gets a little older, he will have a couple of variations of Robin and Red Hood costumes because his name is Jason. So oh, I will have right, a, a right. Red Hood costume for him, a little Robin costume for him. And we'll probably hit at least four or five cons a year. So when he's when, oh, when nice. other kids are like, oh, you don't celebrate Halloween, he'd be like, I, I get to wear my costume four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you're like- <laughs> I get to. I get to do it all the time. What are you talking about? (laughs) So, uh, and it's, if you've never met that population of people, I think they get a really bad rap. And I actually, I really love to be around those people for the most part. There's a few of them that, you know, kind of like sports fans where you're like, you might take that a little too far. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately like Uh, it's, it's really cool. And I actually got into cosplay specifically because as soon as we get a little bit further past the pandemic, I'm going to be volunteering at Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital to go to the sick wings and visit visit kids dressed oh, as that. And that was nice. the whole reason I got into it. I, I was there visiting a child who had brain cancer and a Batman walked in and he was I selfless and a really nice guy. And don't get me wrong, but he was like 5'9", 260. And I was like, okay, you're <laughs> he not was Batman. the Elvis you're Batman. Batman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, and I literally embedded in my brain must be Batman for the children. So <laughs> the plan the plan is whenever I can, whenever we can kind of go back to life as we know it and life a little bit more normal, I will do that regularly where I will go visit the kids as Batman. Even talk to my wife into maybe being Wonder Woman. Hey, maybe. Nice. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Hey. So that'd be that'll that'll be a good time. But but you know, going back to the American Ninja Warrior thing and just movement in general, I think for us as as a household, which I think this is a really cool segue movement is a part of the DNA of this household and will always be my wife, my son, whatever other potential kids that we have down the road, we will always be a household that moves together and does things together and gets outside 
And it's, I think it's really healthy and it's really good for us as a household to be like that and do things in unison like that. And man, I want to try and keep up with this little kid of mine as long as I can. Yeah, right on, man. Very true. So as far as social media, where can people get a hold of you, follow you, see what else you're doing? Sure. So you can follow me on, I've got two social media handles you can follow. You can follow Unconventional Strength or Uncon Strength on Instagram. It's Uncon Strength Orlando on Facebook. Uh, also, I also have a podcast as well. It's the Nerd Jock Podcast. It's a combination of nerd culture and jock stuff, which nice. is you know w- really cool. That that's we're now representing that population. And believe it or not, there's a lot of jocks that are introverted oh. nerds. Yeah, you oh, know, and gamers and cosplayers and all that stuff. So we we created a voice for them. Uh, my brother and I created it, and we have a podcast that, nice. that we are that we will be restarting at the beginning of the year but there are some episodes of some interviews that are already on there so uh check us out there and uh yeah if you're ever in orlando i've got two locations in two different two different parts of town so just look me up via social media hit me up and you know from fascial stretch therapy to performance training i can pretty much do all of it fantastic right on man well thanks for joining us brother we appreciate it great conversation some great information and uh well, we'll we'll hook up in December when I'm uh, when we're out in Florida for sure. I'm looking forward to that day, Neil. Nice. You got to bring the kids and come down too. It's Disney World down here. Come I know. Oh that. yeah, for sure. We'll do that. <laughs> there might be a little golf in Orlando too. I don't oh, know. If just a heard. little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. Right? I'll let them go to Disney World. You know, and then you and I can go play the golf. Legs, right. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. For sure. As long as there's beers, I'm in. And then for anyone who's interested, Coach Jesse will be doing for the month of October. He will be alternating the Thursday live Instagram workouts on stick mobility. So be sure to catch him starting this month, next Thursday, October 7th. And then he and Coach Debbie will be alternating months. So we are looking forward to having you on our live Instagram classes, brother. To all the listeners out there, thanks again for listening. And until next episode, be good to each other for listening to our podcast be sure to hit that subscribe button and whatever platform you're on either apple itunes or spotify please if you could leave a review we'd appreciate that if you have any questions that we can answer for you be sure to leave those in the comments also if you're looking for more information on our education our products please go to www.stickmobility.com and also hit that subscribe button to that youtube channel and don't forget our live instagram classes three times a week if you want to join in grab your sticks and hit that 45 minute class